0: Welcome to episode 244 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name is Dave and I'm joined as always by my co-host Wayne as we return to our analysis of Joss Whedon's Dollhouse. And dude, it is cold outside. It, it is cold out. This is ridiculous. I'm just, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I know, I don't know what to say. But uh, we're recording in the daytime uh, since you're off work and you get one more day, your kids are in school and... Yeah. Yeah. semi-quiet house so yeah except for the the one that decided to come
1: home during the middle of the day for a little bit yeah, to get yeah. a snack but yeah yeah there you go so whatever i guess they yeah. just don't they don't they don't give detention at uh at, at his
0: high school i guess or something yeah. all right but uh before we begin i want to remind you love to hear from you guys emails at sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com go to the website leave us a voicemail record your own audio clip send us the mp3 or tweet us at sci-fi tv rewatch and consider joining the facebook group and join the discussions there so you know we'd said last time that we'd have some thoughts on some of the nominees for the 2018 saturn awards which uh, encompass science fiction fantasy and horror and we're going to take a look at best superhero television series and best science fiction television series So let's start with the superhero, and the nominees are Arrow, Black Lightning, The Flash, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, Gotham, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and Supergirl. Now, I think between the two of us, we've seen them all. The only one I have not seen is Black Lightning. Have you seen it? I have not seen Black Lightning either. Oh, man, I'm surprised. It looks pretty good. Yeah, you know, I mean, I just, I really... uh really wasn't looking to pick up new
1: shows this year you
0: know well well that's understandable and the 2017 winner was supergirl so Mm -hmm. now so heading into that you know i mean for me first reaction as you know we've said many times i quit on arrow in season at the end of season four i quit on flash halfway through season two gotham i just thought was bad i know i know I'm in the minority on that. Legends of Tomorrow. I, I probably said at the time. I feel like they've taken the the second tier superheroes and put them together. I never really caught on with that show. Supergirl. I liked for season one, but again, it just got too silly. And uh, you know, my pick is Marvel's Agents of Shield. I just think it's such a strong show. Character driven. It's action driven. It's got the Marvel universe and you know, so that's my bit on that category.
1: Yeah. Um, well, likewise, I, you know, I stuck with Flash and Arrow a little bit longer, um, but ended up, you know, dropping both of the shows. Um, still watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, Gotham actually is another one I watched, like, the first season, I think, before, and then didn't, like, I think I maybe watched the first two episodes of season two, and it was just like, nah you know like a lot of these just victims of my purging my schedule a little bit so i'm not like watching television all the time um and so if a show just really didn't uh capture me you know just yeah i mean you know the feeling when you go you see something on the dvr and you're like uh you know i don't know uh, maybe i'll watch like you know european league soccer instead or something. Oh, my God. Uh, Right. (laughs) Yeah, not not a thing. Um, So, but I am still watching Legends of Tomorrow and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. there. Um, You know, I like both of them. Uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is probably a little bit better produced, a little bit stronger writing there. Um, You know, Legends of Tomorrow, uh, they're both kind of like guilty pleasures. I'm not, like, super huge fans of either show. Um, But, uh, you know, honestly, I didn't even realize Gotham was still, like,
0: going (laughs) <laughs> which probably tells you something yeah. I'm, I'm not sure what right. and and i get that gotham's got a certain sensibility that the others don't have and i mean supergirl it's a much lighter show and that that doesn't mean it's not as good i just just the characters just didn't grab me anymore and i, I mean i really liked Kara danvers from the start uh, and uh god i can't think of the woman that's the newspaper publisher that she works for but uh uh, you know then they got rid of her but I believe they brought her back but I, I don't know it's just something about that show that that just kind of lost me and you know Arrow I don't know I, I'm not sure what it was about Arrow that just well, and it wasn't I, the olicity thing the way a lot of people say because yeah, I like the two of them but
1: yeah I th- well with Arrow it it just like it, it got to be kind of like a soap opera I think which was just, it, you know, it, it wasn't even... And then they brought in, like, Damien Dark, who, you bring in a bad guy who, like, just can't be beat, who, you know, like, he got... I, I guess he was, like, maybe too bad, or too, I guess should I say too good of a bad guy. You know, he just had, like, these almost omniscient powers. Um, and then, like, even the last season I watched, the bad guy was just always... Ten steps ahead, and that no matter what they did, the bad guy had planned for that, and everything. You know, I just like those things where, like, oh, I, you know, like the, the whole problem I had with the end of the librarians, and you know, Nicole being this, oh, I had that was all part of my plan type thing. It just seems to be kind of like I don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that, but you know, I don't know. It, it just got to the point where it was just, it was just a, a to me like a. a uh, soap opera and over dramatic and people always like can I have a word with you and then they take two steps aside and talk out loud and they're talking about the people who are like five steps away from them, things like that just you know it's still you know like a good show and loads of fans and obviously they don't they don't need me um but uh you know looking at the the whole thing when I'm looking at my my bench and uh which players I can keep on the team and which players I had to cut and unfortunately arrow just didn't didn't make the cut okay so what are you going with what's your pick
0: uh you know what i'm gonna go with black lightning i've never seen it but it looks really cool (laughs) well now i again i've never seen it and 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 some of you might be saying well how can you make these judgments if you stopped watching the shows And, and that's a fair point although i would argue that i really don't know too many shows that their arc you know goes up then yeah. goes down and comes up again. You know, that, that the show yeah. is really good, then it gets kind of sketchy, and then it gets really good again. Most shows don't move in that direction. So I'm yeah. going to go with Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., although, like you, I think Black Lightning, from what I've read, is probably going to win.
2: Yeah. All
0: right, now, Best Science Fiction Television Series, the 2017 winner was Westworld. So the nominees are The 100, Colony, Doctor Who, The Expanse, The Orville, Salvation, and The X Files. And here I can mm. say I watch all of them. I still watch all of them, so I, I feel you know pretty good about making my decision. Although it was a it was a tough one. Now you might say, well, why is Westworld not on the list? They it it's got it's there got to no a, Westworld this year. Exactly, it has to drop within a certain time period, and and very often. HBO Showtime shows they miss that window so you know as you said there was no West World this year certainly in that window yeah I mean anything strike you right off the bat
1: um well I I haven't seen a lot of them I've I, I watched the hundred doctor who the expanse um, and those are three stri- no, I, I think maybe doctor who was not the last season was not quite as good until you know the the christmas episode was was awesome but um you know leading up to it i was not quite as as excited about dr who this particular year uh the expanse is awesome the hundred is awesome you know i don't even know what the
0: orville is is that like well, about the wright brothers <laughs> the orville is a, a semi parody of star trek um todd McFarlane. Uh, you know, created oh, it and okay. he plays one of the main characters it's a fun show it does get pretty darn silly um, i i certainly don't even consider it from this list but yeah, it's a fun show it's a light show um, it, it's not light like the librarians where you feel like you're pretty safe watching it with your children there's a lot of drug jokes drug references sexual innuendo on the orville which you know for an adult is fine but it's right. probably not something you want your young kids watching now uh salvation again it's it's pretty good but it's off my list here the x-files as great as it is as huge a fan of the x-files and i thought this season was pretty strong Um, You know, I'm not going to consider that here either. Everything you said about Doctor Who, you know, I I certainly agree with. Colony, I I really like it. You know, I like the premise of, you know, the alien invasion, how we we still barely seen what they even look like. We don't really know what they want. You know, so I, I like it. I think it's a good show. The Expanse, you know... I like it, but it's one of those shows that that is really difficult for me to, I just really give my heart and soul to. And I think part of it is I don't really like any of the characters or the actors that play them. (laughs) But there's something about it that brings me back every week. Uh So when we get to the end of this list, the only thing still standing for me is The 100. And I really do think, it's an important show. I mean, I think the writing is great, and uh, I, I know I probably said this to you before that one of the things I really love about it is, you know, the dilemmas that these young people are are placed in and being forced to make decisions that no adult should have to make, let alone a teenager. And yeah, I know that you know these are like twenty five, twenty six year old actors <laughs> yeah. playing seventeen and eight year, eighteen year old kids, but. I I just really think it's a strong show and uh, yes, it's dark. Maybe there's light at the end of the tunnel, maybe not, but uh, I'm going with the hundred and I I think the hundred is going to win actually.
1: Cool. Yeah. Well, it would be well-deserved if it did. It's a, it's a really, really good show. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I'd I'd have to give my
0: nod to the hundred as well. I think. Okay. All right. um, all right, so why don't we jump into our tip of the week? And uh, you want to go first? Sure. All right, so I got a, a couple things here, but I'll be I'll be brief. <clears throat> so the first
1: one is uh, we had a couple of days off from school here, so I actually went back and watched the first four Alien movies oh. again, which I hadn't done in a while, and I hadn't seen the director's cut of Alien and Aliens at all. So that was. Uh, kind of cool especially aliens the second one um i you know it's funny when you a lot of times you you would say why didn't the director include these scenes in the first place and after watching the director's cut of aliens i'm like well i totally see why he didn't include these there's like a a pretty extended scene where we we find out how the little girl newt we see the the planet before the marines arrive you've seen aliens right yeah oh yeah Okay, so we see the planet before the Marines arrive. We see the settlers there um, as they uncover the, um, the the ship, or they discover the the ship where the the you know the pods are that the the aliens are in. So we basically see what starts the whole thing, and you know you, you get it. Like you say, well, you know Ridley Scott needs to get the Marines onto the planet, and so we don't need to spend fifteen minutes learning how the uncovered the um, the alien. So it was, it was kind of neat. It was neat to see the scene, but I, I, I still prefer the movie without it, I would guess. And then there's another little scene where we learned that uh, Ripley... Well, actually, in the original, she had mentioned she had a daughter, um, but we learned a little bit more about that because she'd been in space for like 70-some years. So her daughter... Had actually grown and died already, and we see the scene where Paul Reiser comes in and tells her that. And again, I, I get why they cut it, though that one does give you a little bit more emotional resonance later because we see partly why she's so protective of, of Newt uh, later on, because part of it is also this, you know, mourning for her own daughter. So um, it, it was cool to, to go back and do that. Uh, the next thing I want to mention is. Um, Supernatural this past week actually did Scooby-Natural and they end up, uh, uh, Sam and Dean end up in a Scooby-Doo cartoon and they went through the whole episode with the, the Scooby-Doo gang and it was all animated and it was great. It was so funny. It was, you know, if you were a fan of Scooby-Doo, if which meant if you were a kid in the seventies, then you totally would love. It. Even if you don't watch Supernatural, you should go watch Scooby Natural because um, it was it was just uh, just great. And uh, last but not least, I'm going to say last I watched 24 uh, Hour Party People, one of my all time favorite movies. Which you would be right to say is not a genre film by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, it, though it is probably the great greatest musical biopic I think I've ever seen. But there's a lot of genre actors in it. So but has both Christopher Eccleston and John Sims are in it, uh, which was really cool. And, um, uh, Sean Harris, who was in, uh, Prometheus is in there as well. And, uh, and Simon Pegg has got a scene in there as well from Shaun of the Dead. So there's some strong,
0: despite it not being a genre film, there's some strong genre connections. All right. That sounds good. All right. Um, ABC's got a new science fiction drama, The Crossing. It debuted April 2nd. It's going to air Mondays at 10 Eastern. And, you know, basically the premise is, you know, all of these bodies wash up on this shore. And it turns out that they've actually come from America 150 years in the future. And they're running from a war, and you know the mysteries ensue. Steve Zahn's one of the main characters, and you know while I don't love Steve Zahn, I, I have always liked him, and he plays the sheriff in this, and he's just perfect. I, I just love him. At, at some point, if we ever talk about this show down the road, I've got some problems with the way they're having him play the sheriff because it's kind of becoming a trope for sheriffs, and and I don't want to get into that now. But pretty good show, Um, as I said, Mondays 10 on ABC. And the other is, uh, and this is several years old, but uh, it's just running on, I don't know what channel I saw it on, but it's a documentary, and it's called Showrunners, The Art of Running a TV Show, 2014. And again, Joss Whedon's in it, J.J. Abrams, Ronald D. Moore, Damon Lindelof, J.H. Wyman. So all these different showrunners, and it's not all genre. There's plenty of showrunners from typical police procedurals, medical shows, and a number of actors as well. It's really fascinating. So if you get a chance, showrunners, the art of running a TV show. So those are my picks for this week. Cool. All right, so uh, Fred checked in with some listener feedback. He is now picking up Dollhouse with us. So uh, he happened to be in Season 2. I'll let Fred speak for himself, but he's going to talk about Dollhouse,
2: Episode 203. So let's go ahead and take a listen. Hello, Dave and Wayne. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback on Dollhouse, Season 2, Episode 3. I just watched uh, Episode 1, 2, and 3, um, I did I did want to get uh, into the spheres of uh, the 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 atmosphere of Dollhouse again. So I watched episode one and two also. I actually got stuck at episode six uh, quite some time ago. So I really like that uh, you pick this up again and I can go along. First off, I want to thank you both for having me during uh, your Librarians Podcasts. Um, of course, season four is now finished, and uh, perhaps even the whole um, series is finished. So let's hope uh, someone, someone will pick up this uh, this series and give us a fifth season. Um, I gave flashback uh, feedbacks about uh, season two, which uh, Dave gave me the opportunity for, and I will continue doing that uh, also uh, an offer by David, but I didn't have time to watch the librarians as well. So now I will give feedback on Dollhouse. As I remembered, I didn't like the acting of Eliza Doshku and um, and and the the guy that to- that uh, played over But now watching episode one, two, and three, uh, I actually think that the acting of Eliza Doshku is not that bad. It's actually quite good. Um, tover on the other hand you really have to get used to i think the guy that plays this role is just too young for for this uh, the role or he plays it too young uh, a little bit too silly sometimes but if you get used to that uh, a lot of it is is quite funny one of the other funny things is uh, when a boyd t- uh, langton um, says about tover tover having ethical problems when Tover really wanted to uh, let uh, terry die uh, him being a, a, a typical sociopath and serial killer kiki um was going uh, as this uh, student which she does very well eliza Joshku. we really plays a younger girl um sometimes a bit over the top but it's 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 nice um, she goes to uh, a kind of uh, clothing department and uh, gets there her, uh, her teen or 20s uh, clothes. And it reminded me a little bit of Timeless, um, a series I'm currently watching, and that's about time travel. And they have a whole, have a whole department of uh, all kinds of clothes uh, going back to the 1600s. Um, when they do their time travel, that they arrive in the proper clothes. I, I sh- didn't expect that, uh, actually, in uh, in uh, Dollhouse. Um, the guy that uh, is uh, in charge of that uh, clothing department was saying something very funny. Changing the uh, their inside is nothing. Zip, zip. The outside, that's art. What I really liked is Enver, cock guy, uh, playing Terry very, very well. And and later on, he is playing Kiki as well, and also that is very nice, really good acting. What I didn't like so much is when um, Agent Ballard is uh, interrogating uh, Terry Victor, um, that it's interspersed with interrupted actually with these echo teacher scenes. What I also found a little peculiar is when uh, Terry slash Victor crashes the car or his uncle does, Um, and uh, he he walks out and nobody in other cars stops or looks or a little bit strange. Um, One other thing was when uh, Echo was hit with the the hammer, Uh, she didn't pass out. That was also a little bit uh, strange. I didn't see it coming that Echo would stab the teacher in the neck, but of course she suddenly became somebody else, uh, and actually I didn't remember it from the last time I watched it. So, finally, I really wonder what will happen with the personality of Echo with all these remnants of all kinds of people in her. Okay, till next time. Greetings, Fred from the Netherlands. Hi, Fred. Always our pleasure Always look forward to
0: your feedback and, you know, fortunately you're going to pick up Dollhouse with us. But, you know, the acting and, you know, one of the things about Eliza Dushku that I guess I really appreciate here is the fact that in Dollhouse she has to play so many different characters. I mean, it's not like Orphan Black and Tatiana Maslani. I mean, I think to use your label, that's the gold standard for Acting, I really think I I just it's just mind boggling when you when you think to to the way she played all those different characters in Orphan Black. Right. But also Jennifer Garner in Alias had to do something very similar to what Eliza Dushku does in Dollhouse. And and I think it's easy to overlook what a difficult job she had as an actor in this series. And, And, you know, I just really think she's done a nice job.
1: I, I get where Fred's coming from because, especially with like Kiki, um, she's probably like a little bit over the top uh, with it. But you're absolutely right. To, if you're in a show like that, where you you know you have to play a bunch of different roles, it's yeah, it's it's a it's a tough job acting wise, and uh, and she does a really good job with it. Um, the his criticism of uh friend Kranz you know I again you know I I guess that I kind of I think we even might have mentioned that before like Topher kind of it takes a while for you to get used to him you know like at first uh but I, I think especially at the end of season one where we uh really saw some depth to that character um it it took a while coming, but we ultimately we, we saw some depth there, and uh, so I think after that, then you know, Tofer's probably a little bit uh, easier to take and everything. But uh, so, but I, you know, I, I, I like the actors here. I think that yeah. I think all the actors did a great job, especially uh, the lead plays Dewitt, oh, Olivia, Olivia Williams. Williams. Yeah, you know, she's always kind of I thought
0: was you know my favorite um, actor on, on the show. And she's outstanding in Counterpart. If any of you are watching Counterpart on Stars, which we just watched its uh, season one finale last night, uh, Enver Jokai again as Victor was amazing. Yeah. As Fred points out, and 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 I like the connection he makes with the wardrobe and clothing department, and, yes. and the connection that that we see in Timeless as well. Right. And he also has his nitpick, and this kind of stuff drives me crazy as well, Fred. I mean echo gets hit with a mallet and okay yeah, <laughs> no blood kind of, no cut but, yeah no. <laughs> it bounces back up <laughs> no nothing all right whatever yeah. yeah all right well let's get into the episode we're back to the old days here wayne <clears throat> 22 minutes in and we haven't even gotten to the episode yet
1: yeah well you know it's it's been a well while since
0: we talked about dollhouse so good point so all right <laughs> episode 203 bell shows written by Tim Menear, who wrote 105 True Believer, which, ah, not one of my favorite from season one, but, you know, a good episode nonetheless. That's when she's uh, playing that blind girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? I'm I'm
1: sorry to, to, to jump in like this, but I just realized one thing I meant to say talking about the Aliens films. Do you know who wrote Alien Resurrection? I don't. Joss Whedon. Really? Yeah yeah interesting yeah, i didn't know that i'm like watching all sudden, written by joss Wee. i'm like what
0: right. so
1: yeah. yeah anyway cool all right um because timon wrote some firefly too
0: oh right exactly and he also wrote uh episode 112 omega directed by david solomon who directed 103 stage fright 109 spy in the house of love and 113 epitaph one and this one aired october 9th 2009 now we had a couple guest stars that I I think were instantly recognizable. Sure. Ari Gross as Professor Gossen, who most of you probably know him from Castle as Perlmutter, the uh, cranky medical examiner. He also appeared in a couple of episodes of Leverage and and also Fringe. And he's just a great character
1: actor. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's one of those guys. It's literally his bio on IMDb says – you know, he's a guy that you you recognize instantly, but you can't place where you met you know, not met him, saw him. And, you know, that, that's probably, like, the sign of, like, a really, really good character actor because he's been in, like, pretty much everything, I think. And, you know, if you're just in an episode once, but you make enough of an impression that people remember you, then that's, you know, like, obviously, you're doing a pretty good job. Yeah.
0: Well, Michael Hogan as bradley karen's yep. colonel ty from battlestar galactica absolutely uh 12 monkeys man in the high castle a- actually it was even in teen wolf a show i don't watch but there's a lot of people whose opinions i really respect that that really love that show but yeah so those two um bell shows is french for the pretty thing but chaucer and his contemporaries employed it in a different way as a euphemism for the vagina so uh, oh. I'm, I'm not sure what Joss is thinking here or Tim Menear, uh, whoever chose the title for this one, but obviously it, it plays into, uh, you know, some of the storyline, but but the episode seems to focus on control. You know, this character Terry is is attempting to do the very thing that clients of the dollhouse desire, which is control over a situation that they don't control. And, you know, it's, I mean, there's a lot to say. I think about what we hear about the way—I don't want to say the way he was raised, but but the way he perceives the way he was raised. Mm-hmm. Like, right? We don't really hear hear about any male influences other than Uncle Bradley.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. And Topher points out like those parts of the brain that have. You know empathy and sympathy and what would he say like you know make you feel bad about going out and killing a cat or something like that this guy just never developed those parts you know they're just big dark spots in his brain um so right. uh, you know, again is is it I guess the you know nature nurture thing you know do does a um you know is a serial killer made or is a serial killer born you
0: know right and I mean he certainly places the blame on the women in his life or, or certainly that's the way i interpret it but you know the other connection you know with all of this control and certainly when echo or kiki goes and meets with the professor and, and they have that discussion about chaucer and his female character i believe her name was allison which doesn't sound like a very chaucerian
1: no it was the uh, the
0: wife of beth okay that's her uh, name well, it's, Come it's on. been a while but you know, the whole idea of, you know, women really being in control and, you know, I think that's, you know, certainly an arguable point that, you know, we men certainly <laughs> feel that way at times that, you know, we're not in control. but Right, you know, but that, that's that, also part of his, that's like his game,
1: you know, like he's trying to seduce this kid is basically what he's trying to do and so he, you know, while, yes, the the wife of Beth is, uh, you know, often pointed out as a quote unquote liberated woman, um, in the middle ages. Uh, the, the reality of the situation is as Kiki says that, you know, really men controlled everything back then, even though we have this one example of one character and we have two gut men here that they kind of reflect one another, Terry and the professor who are both predators Right? Sure. Like, say what you will. Like, the professor, he's not innocent. He is using his position to, to get sex, Right, basically.
0: Okay. But I guess then, looking at the, the broader point, are we to accept that men and women that sign up for the dollhouse actually wield control? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that they took control of whatever bad was going on in their lives, signed up for the dollhouse... And their lives are going to change. At least that's the way they probably look at it going in. And, and I'm wondering is that what Joss Whedon or Tim Minear want us to take away? I, I'm not sure. Um, you know, as you said, that um, certainly these guys come across as predators, which brings up a point for me. You know, I, I think this is probably my main nitpick here. This guy's a college professor, right? How can he afford the dollhouse? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Well,
1: again, we just are not meant to ask that question. I guess. Does he have an
0: educator discount card or? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, like Barnes and Noble, right? Yeah, right. I mean, I thought we were talking seven figures. I thought we heard that at one point about uh, that. Well, that's yeah. what clients were paying. I, so we
1: just we know it's it's super expensive and only like the super wealthy people are able to afford it so yeah exactly like what did this guy get uh did he publish his article on the wife of bath last year that
0: uh, brought in millions of dollars like um probably not yeah probably not on amazon's bestseller list and and, you know at at first i thought all right well maybe you know i'll I'll see this on the rewatch maybe this is just a rich guy who has hired out a college he's you're using the whole college as a tableau which then fits in nicely with what uh terry's trying to do but no this seemed like it's a real class with real yeah. students and yeah and, real office and everything yeah but uh the other thing echo accessing multiple personalities you know we, we've we seen this before but what we see it again that she seems to be experiencing something along the lines of alpha that not not that they were necessarily dumped all at once as, as happened to him so it's a smaller scale i i guess the saving grace is that caroline farrell was not a sociopath when she entered the dollhouse right because all of this you know stuff that she's got going on in there um, you know who knows where it would take her
1: yeah but and you you see you know Caroline we you know I think we see her here as she you know basically tries to goad the women to killing her as the only way to stop Terry
0: right yeah, yeah. which which was fascinating and and just I don't know really gruesome at the same time, but the the other thing and you know maybe it's that we've been away from dollhouse for a while but you know we don't get any narrative movement on the Ballard Echo Caroline working together to bring down the dollhouse thing right i mean didn't we have that already in in season 2 um i mean there didn't seem to be any recognition here that it was echo as echo not echo slash caroline and and that that caroline's kind of regained her bearings and is you know playing along so i'm not sure and, right. and again well, it's been so long since i've seen season two
1: yeah yeah well i mean i think we we definitely got to point where we realized that caroline is able to maintain herself uh despite the all the wipes and everything but you're right we didn't really see that but what we you know, did see is her, her ability to, because, you know, in the end of season one, she got like all of her personalities dumped into her, as you said, a la alpha. Um, so I think we see that bit, you know, kind of pushing the narrative forward, but yeah, I think for the most part, this was kind of like a, you know, a standalone for the most part. And it doesn't really push the, uh, the the narrative of the overall arc necessarily that much,
0: Right. And and you wonder that did Fox do something with the running order? I mean, I'm not aware that this isn't the you know intended running order, but who knows? So uh, opening scene, we see Terry setting up a tableau on an indoor croquet field using live women that he's drugged as his participants. And then when the one fights back, he bludgeons her with a mallet guess we have to find a new Aunt Sheila. And, you know, just a great and, and again, gruesome opening to the show. He sees the candidate. And, you know, at first I'm just thinking he's losing focus, but but he was still drugged as well because she had the wherewithal to jab him with the needle, which is then what leads him to getting hit by the car, ends up in the dollhouse. Not as a typical client, but, uh, you know, we find out that his uncle is not only a client, sound like the hair club for men yeah i'm i'm not only a client i'm the owner as well right that he's a major shareholder so i guess adele dewitt has to take him in but i love how she doesn't back down to him when he tries to get his way on certain things right well
1: you know dewitt did not get where she is by being a yes person right she you know she has to you know, deal with, and we've seen her before having to deal with uh, people of you know that have more. I, I wouldn't necessarily say more powerful position than her, but we have seen her dealing with other people who are above her. You know, like for the longest time, we thought she was the one in charge, and we realized Rossum was really in charge. But yeah, you know, she she didn't get that by just blindly doing whatever she's told. She has to exercise judgment, and
0: and that's what she does right now it's it just in passing but it's it certainly key plot element and that's that dr saunders has left the dollhouse and basically gone walkabout so she's out there and we'll just leave that at at, at that for now yeah but, well
1: and then if we want nitpick we'd say so really just because she went out there's no one else that can plant a gps in victor like seriously <laughs> Yeah, you think that that would be a pretty important uh, you know thing for them to do? Like, right. as soon as the facial reconstruction is done, all right, let's get
0: that GPS in them. Toot sweet, right? Yeah, but you, you know, it, it's funny about this episode because you know, as you said, it, it does have a standalone feel to it. But there's so many little details that are really critical to you know the the overall arc. You know, and where we're headed, and obviously, if you've seen the entire series, you you understand what I'm talking about. And, and as we always say, we're going to drop some of these things out there for discussion, but try not to spoil it if this is your for your first viewing. But that whole idea, after Topher comes back having mapped his brain, and you know he's got the brain of a serial killer, he says that he has moral and ethical issues. Bringing him out of his coma. And I love Boyd. Topher has moral issues. It's like, I didn't even know Topher had morality. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. He's like, yeah, Topher has ethical problems. Right? Topher. Yeah. Like, right. So, you know,
0: yeah. I mean, ahead. you know, we're in for a ride if Topher has moral issues. Right. Exactly.
1: And, you know, Topher has a good comeback there. Way to land it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, when, when right, exactly. When, when Topher is the one who comes in with ethical problems, because he is the guy who just follows the science always. Like He doesn't think about the consequences. And we've talked about this many times, how Topher doesn't really care about consequences of what he does. He just does it, right? And yeah. we actually see that here with the, though he's told to do the remote wipe, he goes into it. And he obviously did not really think it out 100% because
0: it goes badly wrong. Well, right. I mean, he he even verbalizes his reticence about doing it. And that's not the Topher we usually see, the supremely confident young man who, as you said, follows the science. and, And for him, he's not comfortable with the science. You know all of that—that that arrogance that we usually see is missing, which is important again to you know the the overall uh, arc that that uh, Dollhouse is on. The guy's uncle Bradley comes in. He wants to meet with DeWitt, and he knows his nephew is unbalanced. And and basically, it, you know, it's like DeWitt has to like pull it out of him that okay, there's a bunch of women missing. I think Bradley did it so what we've got to do is we've got to find these women so how do we do it they put terry's imprint into victor and then let ballard interrogate him because ballard is an fbi profiler which right. I, I loved that questioning look i mean we've seen the interrogation scenes in every show genre or not that was as good a interrogation i think i've ever seen
1: yeah yeah that was that was really really good obviously and especially with uh you know victor now terry um you know i think even fred had said how Enver joe kai's uh acting was awesome in this one and uh we you know we really really see that here as he goes from the one character to the other the, you know this this terry guy is just so awful <laughs> like you know um and we had two different or actually three different actors all uh you know, played him in this
0: episode yeah yeah and, and the interesting thing is this part of the plot i mean it's relatively simple i mean he's trying to take these women and recreate his childhood but in this case he's going to be in control and not them and okay fine because that's really not what this episode is about i mean yes there's that that theme of control lingering in the background. But I think there are a lot of other things that are probably much more important. And, and as you said, you know, his imprint ends up in Victor and Echo at, at one point. But I love Ballard's touch. And, and this is another thing that this episode surprised me. You know, the technology. I, I, I guess season two must be 2010 um yeah think- 2010 2009 i think like. That. and i'm thinking like did we have tablets back then i guess because he's got one i don't know if that was an early ipad or, or what kind of tablet it was and then when his cell phone rings i guess we had iphones in 2009 i i certainly didn't have one in 2009 but uh i don't know that that just surprised me but i loved the, him using that to show terry slash victor that Terry's actually comatose in a hospital bed somewhere right. with wires. You know, just I, I just love that detail.
1: Yeah, and you, you know, when they did that, I was kind of thinking like, you know, if this were from like Terry's perspective, like how what would you think? Like, like did I just get zapped into some fantasy world or something? You know, like uh, you know, just to, uh, all of that is just so crazy. Like.
0: Yeah. And then when the uncle rigs up the uh, the monitor to create a distraction so that he can then take his nephew, who's actually Victor's body with his nephews, I I guess he thinks at that point he's going to be able to get his nephew to tell him where these women are. I think what it shows me is you really don't know your nephew as well as you think you know him because, you know, he slams his head in. And okay, and again, another nitpick. They smashed that one car pretty darn hard. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Uh, but yeah, I, again, Dave. Sometimes you gotta let some of this stuff go, though. Uh, but uh, 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 but I, yeah, you're, I remember thinking the same thing. Like I'm like, um, you know, is he really gonna just walk away from this? But uh, right, right. Um, yeah, you know, and here we got this rich white guy, and who is feels privileged and part of you know Terry's thing is this privilege he also enjoys of being able to do whatever he wants and the family will actually cover for him uh you know I mean if you look at the the uncle knows he's been abducting women but yet like is this it seems like just now he's doing something about it like and i guess part of it is he, he didn't know where his nephew was before which that, I could explain that but um but you know, just still the whole thing, and you know we've talked about this before. And here's my nitpick, and I just told you you got to let it go, so you can tell me the same thing. But like, is there any security at the dollhouse, like at all? Like, can you really just grab a guy and just walk out the front door? Like, come
0: on, you know? Was there?
1: Did every single person in the dollhouse run to that hospital room to
0: see the the monitor? Like. Give me a break. Right. Now you mentioned something that I find interesting that Terry's basically able to do whatever he wants, but is it an outgrowth at this point of the fact that he never got to do what he wanted as a child that the women, because there don't seem to, as I said, be any men influences in his life. So I don't know if the parents were divorced, if the father died, you know, we don't know obviously he has some sort of relationship with his uncle but for whatever reason and then his uncle does this it it just seems an act of desperation and for me why I love that is that it leads into DeWitt and for those of you that have seen the entire series to me this is the beginning of the end here because DeWitt as you mentioned wants Topher to figure out how to do a remote wipe right mm-hmm. against his better judgment And she mentions, and I'm thinking, like, I I can't believe I hear these words coming out of your mouth. Well, Alpha did it. I'm like, Uh yeah, yeah, and and look what happened. Yeah,
1: yeah, And, and we saw that right at the end of you know season one, and also with Epitaph One. We that's the thing about all of season two is we've already seen where this leads to we already know what the results of their actions is going to be. And so there's that kind of sense of tragedy that overshadows pretty much the whole season because like you said, that's the beginning of the end. She orders that remote wipe. Well, we've seen the future where remote wipes are
0: just a commonplace thing. Yeah. But I guess what I don't understand, and I agree with everything you said there. She certainly had screw ups in the field before. Why this sense of desperation this time? I mean, why do you feel like you need to resort to the remote wipe in this case? I mean w I mean we had the one where the guy was hunting Echo. Yeah. On on that one. You know, what we you know, wheel to the grindstone or whatever, I don't know. Yeah, shoulder, shoulder to the wheel yeah. or whatever, whatever it yeah. was. But I, again i i just find that fascinating the the desperation that she must feel and, and, and then of course tofer's able to lighten it a little bit won't there just be doll in the doll state if you wipe her and Topher says well there'll be an empty-headed robot wandering around hollywood It'll yeah. be fine right. <laughs> right yeah that's a good joke <laughs> right. um
1: yeah well i think before one thing is that they didn't realize that they didn't even imagine the technology at that point earlier in season one, but now they've seen it in action. Um, but, but again, it's, you know, we talked about four about consequences and not thinking of the consequences. Um Certainly they're desperate because they, there is a serial killer loose and roaming around and it's on them. Basically they put Terry's brain into Victor's body um and then allowed him to get away so you know any any further harm that Terry does is going to be on them so you know
0: i you know, No that's true sure. so, so
1: there's that desperation factor um there but but yeah like she still makes a a judgment that you know maybe she should have thought a little bit more you know there might have been
0: other options before they go to the uh, let's try a remote wipe option. Yeah, good point. So, you know, we've got the great club scene with Victor slash Kiki, you know, dancing around, and uh, you know Ballard coming in looking for him. And and, and again, that was pretty good. And, and again, great acting on Enver Jokai's part. I mean, that that was just just really great. But Ballard returns with him. Topher's got everything back online. He's tracked Echo but she's continuing to glitch. And, and again, we saw this with Alpha, and, and we've seen it with her before as well, but Echo tells the women how Terry took all of them, right? So, so this is Echo with, I guess, still some of Terry in her, and it's almost as if she's accessing multiple personalities at this point. And I'm, I'm thinking back with Alpha whether or not he had control over accessing, or did they it, was it something he just had to roll with? Yeah,
1: I think he' something he had to roll with. If I remember correctly, I don't think he really had control, but the, I think the, the personalities that popped up, I believe, were or, or maybe he did. I think you know I think with Alpha he did, he could just choose kind of which one to dial up.
0: I'm not, I'm not sure okay now <laughs> uh you know we get we get towards the end and echo observes ballard watching the ballad yeah <laughs> uh and she's looking on what's happened to her working with ballard because there seems to be no recognition but you know when she you know even to go back for a second she she tells those women that he's still here i assume she means in her head and then, you know, she tells Paul at, at the dollhouse that, you know, she's not okay. And then we get that final, goodness gracious, yeah. well, who was that? What that's, person was... The, that's Terry. Terry. That's okay. Terry, yeah. Terry. Okay. Terry's still there. Okay. Now, you know, the, the other storyline is Echo's engagement with the professor. And, and, and we see at the beginning, Ballard's now her handler he's not happy that she's going on a romantic encounter and i i love that in-house clothing store that we've really never seen before and we've never really seen the guy that's working the desk before yeah but that was just wonderful that that, that was, was just
1: yeah that is just, very funny and then you know like the two handlers sitting there and the guy's like i don't I don't even do this for my wife. And then Ballard's like, I graduated from Quantico, you know, like as they sit there waiting for their, their dolls to be outfitted. That was great.
0: Right. And and equally as great is the discussion that the professor's trying to have with Kiki about Chauncey, you know, the, uh, I forget what what she says about, you know, wearing the letter on her desk. And he's like, you know, obviously a scarlet letter reference that she somehow missed, but, well, she she's not a great student of literature. No, <laughs> right. But it, it gets back to the discussion that he's having about the character, Allison, that she doesn't allow men to define her. And of course, we have to look at what the dollhouse is doing with these people that have signed up to be dolls. That you know, are they allowing the dollhouse to define them? Well, I, I guess you'd have to argue for the five-year term. Yes, they are. Yeah, that's that's exactly what they sign up for. Yeah, but in the long run, does that enable them to define themselves? Where had they not, you know, signed up with the dollhouse, they wouldn't have had that opportunity. That you know, Caroline might be in prison.
1: Yeah. Well, for, it, it, you know, it kind of goes with yeah the, the, this discussion of of power and sexual power specifically um you know kiki apparently deservedly got an f on her paper um so which puts her now again yeah this is all arranged because the professor paid for you know this dollhouse experience so you know but he you know i'm stand by what i said before it still is predatory you know why is this his fantasy to you know like that the the grade is ultimately his power right it's not hers so she has to you know is is going to come on to this professor um, and use sex now then there's her power but the reason she's doing that is to get the grade, which is his, you know, so it kind of goes, you know, like back and forth, but, uh, you know, we still have in the same thing like this. Well, I think there's this parallel story of the professor who is manipulating, uh, this scenario for sex and, and Terry who's manipulating his situation as well, but not, you know, not for sex, but for, you know, whatever his you know, goal is to play out these crazy fantasy that he has.
0: Well, he refers to all the women in his life as whores. You wonder whether it was a situation where, you know, they reached an age in in terms of his sisters where they were interested in boys and that uh, his aunts perhaps were single or divorced or widowed uh, and the same with his mother and that they were dating and that, he was the odd man out so to speak and that you know all this resentment has built up i don't know i mean in terms of the the f on the paper i guess i just looked at it as a narrative device to get her to come up to his desk and initiate a a conference back in his office sure
1: right right absolutely but um yeah but you know it's it's still yeah you know, like you said like it's that, that parallel thing of both of them Using their power to live out their fantasy, you know, which are both to me seem equally harmful fantasies, you know. Sure,
0: but that's—I mean, when we look at the Dollhouse, that's what the majority of them are. True. So, I don't know that this one's any worse. I mean, it's—it's it's, you know, I mean, she's an adult. It's not like it's a, a teenage girl, you know, in high school or something like that. So, you know, she is a college student, and you know, yeah. again, I mean, it, it makes it not acceptable, but at least not illegal.
1: Uh, yeah, I just feel like this would make it into the hashtag Me Too thing here, you know? like Yeah, it probably would. That is, it's, it's definitely inappropriate, but, um, but, but again, I guess in his defense, he's hiring a doll to do this rather than— actually preying upon his actual students. So while the fantasy is maybe not super appropriate, at least he's, you know, doing it on his own dime, I guess, whereas in, instead of actually trying to live this out by uh,
0: hitting on his actual students. Well, right. And, and the other thing I guess that we can forget about pretty easily is that, yes, as you said, DeWitt's really concerned that We've got the serial killer on the loose. That's kind of our fault, but you've also got a client that's bleeding profusely <laughs> right. from from the neck now. Yeah, so how's that going to work out? So she, you know she's got she's got a lot on her plate at this point. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, but, they're going to be careful of the feedback he's going to leave on their website. You know, he's definitely <laughs> giving one
0: star. But I, I think for me. What really comes out in this episode are all the little details that are setting up the big fall, if you will. I, I, I just really think it was done masterfully. You know, I'm not ready to give this episode a full on A. And I, and I thought for a while I was going to go B And uh, I'm still not sure B plus A minus. But I think there's a lot there. They did a nice job of, of blending the two storylines I I like the fact that uh you know it was it was a different mission for the dollhouse in, in this case with with Bradley I mean with uh Terry right he wasn't yeah. a client right but, uh, his uncle was just trying to clean up the mess he made and he figured Dewitt had the wherewithal to do it so yep. well anything Absolutely. else you want to bring well, up that- so
1: there's just the, this kind of like one of the the final lines of the episode where DeWitt says, uh, or I'm sorry, I think Topher says, Do you think he'll ever wake up? And DeWitt says, Wouldn't it be nice if he didn't? And uh, they're referring to Terry. And of course, uh, Ballard will euthanize Terry, though not killing him, though, right? Because as long as his consciousness is out there, he's very much still, quote unquote, alive. Um, but but I, I you know I, I took that 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 was kind of like this you know statement of Dewitt saying she, they, she doesn't want Terry to wake up, but it also can be applicable to the the dolls themselves. You know that they are all asleep, and um, you know she doesn't want them to wake up and to you know realize. As Caroline is doing to to be able to. You know, control their own destiny and everything. She just wants them
0: asleep and blind and in their doll state. Right. I mean, if you have your dolls becoming self-aware, that sort of defeats the whole purpose of the dollhouse. Right. And as you said, that's what we've seen in Echo slash Caroline over, over the last few episodes. Yeah, it, it will be interesting to see how they transition out of this incident, but... Uh, you know the, the whole key here is the idea of the remote wipe and tofer's reaction to what has happened here how he handled it his reluctance to do it in the first place you know the the way it actually brought down the dollhouse for a little bit in terms of you know technology and and then he solved the problem so what's that going to do to his approach to the remote wife and, and more perhaps more importantly what's it going to do to Adele DeWitt's approach to the the uh remote wife moving forward so yeah.
1: well we did all anyway. right what's that we well, we saw that in, in epitaph one so well we well yes we yes that we they're going to really continue and, down this rabbit hole
0: and, and and that's an interesting thing about dollhouse that you know the, they thought they were gonna get canceled and you know epitaph one was sort of a way to tie things up and then dvd sales were out the roof and you know they came back and you know well documented but um so what are you giving this one letter grade um you know it's funny because
1: you said a minus b plus and that's exactly where i was thinking at. uh i'm going to stick with the b plus i think
0: okay okay yeah it's it's strong episode it's got a lot going for it but uh, you know there there are some flaws but yeah yeah you know, nothing mechanics. i just
1: didn't like yeah i mean while a lot was going on and a lot was you know there there's a lot of great stuff i yeah, i don't really know i i obviously i liked it a lot um but uh i just feel like there's better episodes down the line i'm mean, gonna reserve my a's for those so all right I, I don't cool. want to i don't want to overgrade this early in the season
0: yeah you don't want anybody coming and arguing though either right right Right. exactly (laughs) all right well we'll leave it there on this one and uh, i want to thank you guys for joining us for this episode love to hear what you think about dollhouse travelers librarians you know whatever is going on in genre tv for you encourage you to join the facebook group share your thoughts with the sci-fi tv rewatch community if you're already a member spread the word emails go to sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com voicemails can go via the speak pipe tab on the website and we'll be back next time to talk about dollhouse season two episode four titled belonging but until then you know dave after talking about this episode you know i don't see a
1: pattern here for some reason you do